I'd like you to look uh, behind us because it's something unfortunately we can't do. We'd like to be able to play with our asses facing you and our heads facing <laughs> the Joshua Light Show. mentioned this in the other episode that dropped the same day, the update, the news update podcast, but this is just a catch-all of some Joshua White interview bits I thought were so cool and crucial to uh, just who he is and some things that I wanted to talk to him about, but that I felt like didn't fit in or, or may not be, have been as enjoyable to others. So if you want to listen to you know stories about the Who, listen to part of their concert that they did with, with Joshua White back in them. Uh, if you want to hear a little bit about Hendrix, if you want to hear about his shows, what Joshua White thought about Hendrix and stuff, and if you want to hear about Woodstock, check this episode out. It's really fun, short, and this episode's not going to be as polished, so this is just going to be pre- presented as is. I hope that it finds a place. Uh, I hope it's something that you guys can enjoy and that maybe somebody will listen to it because it, it is really great stuff. So, uh, again, without further ado, here is the interview with Joshua White. You know, I, well, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about that who set because that who set was. Uh, let's. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna play some audio here for everybody at home, and I know you're familiar with it. But we'd like to play for you a song uh, originally recorded and written by the Who. It's quite a long one. It's what uh, we normally wait a little while to play. We're gonna play it now because we feel in the mood to play it now. Song, long, 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 long song called Tommy. This is uh, a bit unprecedented in uh, our career, but we like played it one way and didn't like it, so we're going to play it another way, and maybe we'll like it better. This is uh, starts off with the overture. We miss out a couple of songs, but there'll still be no intermission tonight, and I'd like you to look. Uh, behind us because it's something unfortunately we can't do we'd like to be able to play with our asses facing you and our heads facing the Joshua Light Show yeah. but unfortunately we've got to look at you lot <laughs> you can get the best of both worlds and see us and the Joshua Light Show both at once and uh, maybe when you're applauding us at the end You'll give them a thought to and sling some pennies in the Joshua Light Show benevolent fun box, which is up by the door. They don't get a pension, then. <laughs> We've arrived, folks. <laughs> but that's a very sweet moment. I I had uh, actually I, I knew they had done it. I didn't know there was a recording of it until about 15 years ago when I got yeah. the first copy of it. But that was a good, clean one. That's nice. Uh, and the thing is, it, it is that. It was really, the album was new and they were asking the audience or the record buyers to buy a, a rock cantata. 
Mm-hmm. All these songs were connected together and they weren't, it wasn't clear even then what the hell they were singing about, but every song was amazing. There's two guys singing, you know, one yeah. guy drumming and a bass player who sings sometimes and, and they did everything and they were really the best and the most important band in my point of view to play the, play the film war. And, and because it was a week, it sold out so fast that I'm having, you know, friends and friends of my parents calling me begging for tickets. And it was fun for me because we had never been involved in that kind of success before. We'd always done well, it was fine, but this was, you couldn't get a ticket, which is, yeah. it's nice to be young and and be in the middle of something that everybody wants, but nobody could get into. Yeah. And I believe for that was in the October of 69 show. I believe that you said that you did something unprecedented that you hadn't done before. And you took the Tommy album and you took it home and you really listened to it and dissected it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you could, I guess, uh, do, give the best performance that the Joshua Lott show well, could I, with the music. Actually what I did is I didn't, I wasn't on the platform by then we had gotten very sophisticated and there was a young guy who was a good mixer, you know, and I, and I stood downstairs off of the left side of the stage with the script, which I had put together out of the lyrics yeah. And I'd asked, I'd try to reach them and their, you know, their, their manager was a cokehead and their, their uh, roadies were a, a, amazingly stupid. And they said, oh yeah, we do it. They do it exactly as it is on the album, mate. You know, well, they didn't. They cut things or they arranged yeah. things, but it's okay. I was familiar enough with it. And all I did was, was tell people through the intercom system, which was very sophisticated, what's next. And in the light showcase, we had the odd image, the odd image, which we would put into the abstraction and it would glue all the abstraction together. So some of them were obvious, like I shot a pinball machine, but not from above. I I took the glass off and put the camera down inside. So you'd see the ball coming at you. And it wasn't, by the time we filled the screen with it, it wasn't that good. But if you took a moment, you'd see it. And that would, that would play through pinball wizard while the light show stuff was going on. And acid queen, one of our, uh, one of our liquid artists was also an artist model, and she did some nudes coming towards the camera that were looped and repeated and lit from the side and, and a million other things like that. But it was, uh, it, we had learned by then that you don't have to actually literally translate anything. You just have to give the occasional clue. Yeah. And because I was there every night, I was able to give the cues every night. There was no real tight cues. It was just... And then uh, when they did their encore, we because it was the film where we could do anything we wanted. And and yeah. it, and the problem that light shows have and that stage lighting has is you can only go up, up, up so high. You can't, there's, there's no going to 11 with, with those light show things. But we were determined uh, to have a few extra things up our sleeve. And one of the things we did towards the last two performances is one of the crew members had an open arc welder. Yeah. Electric. And 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 we go. It would be set up behind the screen on the stage with some pipes and things in front. And you know, it's like lightning. And yeah, so yeah. at the very end of what we knew would be their last song, he's firing this thing, and it's more light than the audience has ever seen. Wow! <laughs> you know, it was a great it was a great moment, and we could do we felt comfortable doing stuff like that. It wasn't a stretch anymore. Everybody was involved. Yeah, and uh, so that's a not October nineteen sixty nine, and to show how far the Who had came. Mm-hmm. In um in nineteen sixty eight, they opened for the Doors at the Singer Bowl in New York. They're the opening act to the Doors. Right. That's correct. And uh and here's a little bit of that sixty eight show. This is a. We can't have the last one for tonight now. And uh, 
We thank everyone again for coming. And uh, anyone that's just come in, don't worry, because the next one's going to last quite a long time. <laughs> How long? We don't know. An hour long. long. Long enough to get into it, isn't it? And uh, this is an old one. And uh, a goodie. It's on my list of classics. <laughs> oh, dear. And it's my generation. So they do a 33-minute version of, and, and and so here, imagine Joshua. This is like 15 minutes in. This imagine this is Joshua Lacha trying to light this. Just, just, I mean, it, it was the Who. We knew the Who. We knew that no matter what happened, no matter how long the introduction was. At some point, Roger was going to come to the microphone and sing the first lyric, yeah. and so all, and we didn't even have to see it; we just could tell. And I, I just had my hand on the switch that would change it from this to that, and the light show was most effective in its transition. So what had been vamping, so to speak, a visual vamping, the minute yeah. he begins to sing, it changed dramatically, and that was what we could do because of our discipline and how our, we were set up technically that no other light show at the time could do. That's what really made us able to just do show after show, act after act. We, we could, we, cause we, we would, ha we had thousands of, of ideas and we knew them all. And it's, it was just like a good musician. You've got the good riff in your head. As long as we're playing a song, we know, do what you want. We're all going to come back in the end. So we could tell, especially with a band like the hook cause they were so predictable in the right way, as were the doors. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of great musicians, uh, somebody else who played, and I was going to ask you about this. So so Jimi Hendrix played the um, in May of May 10th of 1968. He came back for the New Year's shows uh, in 1969. Did, were you at the New Year's shows? New Year's yeah, shows we're on the album cover. You can literally yes. okay. see artwork. And we had something that was was fun. We, we were able to project a real clock. Really? Uh, yeah, we, we there was an old, a weird old school projector called an opaque projector that teachers used in the '40s and '50s. You could put a book under it, and it would it it, it had a, a system that allowed a dim image to appear, but it was better than nothing. And we rented one of those, and we bought two, you know, uh, twelve-inch clocks, and put one underneath at ten minutes to midnight, and uh, and we could turn it on at any point. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it melted the clock, so we needed two because there were two shows. Oh. But it, it was just uh, it, because we had a history, we, did, we, we were able to do this. And, I'm very, and it made the album cover, so what more could you want? You know, I never, I have, there's a DVD of it, and I have yet to watch it, unfortunately. Um, I don't, whatever it is, it's not going to be very good. I just yeah. have to tell you. It's going to be somebody with a black and white reel-to-reel -reel camera in, in one balcony in the sound box or maybe in the back. But it's better than there is nothing else. So yeah. they tell you a lot, but it, they, and it was impossible to record good sound. I've never, I've never seen any footage from real film or performances that can stand up on their own. But if you surround them with enough information and still pictures, uh, it, it makes more sense, which is why uh, I encourage that architect to make that wonderful 3d rendering that I sent you that shows mm -hmm. what the film or looked like for the Doors concert and what and the relationship because I could talk forever but you know I have to, it's much easier just to send a send a, a you know an animated thing yeah and we're going to here this here's a little bit from the from the from the the, the of the 68 show I think of, of purple haze 
a little bit of a solo in the Purple Haze. Mm skip to that end solo he does. This is amazing. And there he is with that with that eye. Yep. That's a good picture. That really tells a story. Yeah. I, I do have an opinion, by the way, uh, yes, sir. to share relative to that New Year's Eve concert, which I believe was the Jimi Hendrix experience, just just the um, three guys. I, I think the band the 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 sixty nine show. I the, the, or the first one was I think because <laughs> yes yeah that, there was a, a, a the best poster I've ever seen for that show, which is the one yeah. I have in my collection. When he came back on New Year's Eve, uh, sixty nine seventy, it was now Band of Gypsies, mm-hmm. and it was a bigger. And that band was an unfortunate trend in in the industry to. To when someone had success was to, to change everything, which yeah. I never cared for. And the other example of that is Janis Joplin, who was raw and amazing, you know. Uh, and then uh, when 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 she changed management and everything, suddenly they were gone, and now she had really important musicians backing her. But she really wasn't a leader that way. Yeah. And I think I, even though she made great music, I think the earlier music was better because it was pure and more raw. And I feel the same way about Hendrix, but I'm not a musicologist. I'm just telling you from my live experience yeah, yeah. that, that uh, it, it just thing it, it, it the, I think the, just as I retired, uh, which was my choice to walk away in, in April of 70, I, I've been mm-hmm. working on it really for since January, since the New Year's Eve concert, uh, and and by just sheer chance, the the first act to appear there was Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young mm-hmm. riding on their Woodstock. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, and and they wanted to work on a black stage with just lighting and follow spots. None of which affected me because I was out the door. But I did watch one of the concerts and they were terrible. Yeah. And not only were they terrible, I mean compared to what I had heard before. Each at in individual bands and even at Woodstock, they were they were just loud and abusive, and they kept adding more musicians. and And I didn't have to do it, but up on the marquee, it became Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young, Crosby, yeah. Stills, Nash, Young, Taylor, Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young, Taylor, and Reeves. You know, and the stagehands hated them because they were just prima donnas. You know, uh, and but all of them, including the late David Crosby, had these lovely moments in their earlier careers. And for some of them later on, where they just, it was simple. Yeah. And, and, and that was, that it, it had just, I could feel it blowing up. I could feel it getting bigger. Yeah. And t- just to wrap up the Hendrix shows, that 68 show had Sly and the Family Stone on first, which is a great band to, can you, to ima- hear. can you imagine that? Because they, the thing that they had along with everything else was the most phenomenal energy. Just oh, amazing yes. energy. That- which, which, it, but they all had it. Jimmy was by himself, so he could play with great energy. Yeah. But just imagine them horn players and this crazy guy with a big smile in the middle. I, they were they were unbelievable. They also had, you know, the voices of East Harlem, which was a lovely idea. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it didn't the show didn't swing until Sly came in. 
Yeah, but, it, and it served as an amazing energizer for Jimmy because he came out and the audience was already up there. So that allowed him as a musician to do what he did, which is pick up at that spot and just go through the roof. I've never heard anybody just keep going, which he did. And sadly, I, I would have loved to have heard more of it. Yeah, and I think Slide said that at the time that he had, they'd, this was before Woodstock and everything, of course, uh, that, that people had seemed a little bored of the Sly show. Oh, I'm sorry. Them, was it, this was, this was 68. He, oh, I forget forget what I said about the voice of East Harlem. But Sly was still. Oh, they were I mean, still great, but yeah. people didn't recognize them. Um, but, you know, people wanted them to get off the stage, were yelling to get off the stage and things, of course, because. There's always some asshole. That's oh, of course. Set, but, they, but, but Bill made everybody feel comfortable and wanted. Yeah, but but Jimmy comes and they said that they saw the roadies setting up the guitars for Jimi Hendrix. He had the Stratocasters, he had his Flying V, he had a black Les Paul, something he didn't pull out often, which he actually played at the Fillmore show. It's very rare to see Jimmy with a black Les Paul, but he played it at that I Fillmore know, show. But I, I take your word for it. Um, he said somebody jumped <laughs> I was, off. I was behind a screen. I never saw that. Well, here's one thing we didn't get was the encore isn't recorded. Of course, that's the way real to real works. You don't really have a lot of space, and if somebody leaves the stage and you fill up your tape, there's not a whole lot of time says that Jimmy was sitting on his guitar, pulling on the strings and pulling on his whammy bar, and then he then he got up and walked off the stage, but the music was still playing. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that he started to think a tape recording was on there, but that there was no tape recorder. He had, I guess he had ran out the tape. Um, but he said that it was just amazing that Jimmy just walks off stage, leaves it playing. And people actually, we talked about the handmade tickets. He said that people snuck in for free with hand-drawn tickets to the show that there were, uh, it was over the, I don't know if that's true. That was another thing. Uh, I mean, I I can only use my information, but they, from the start, what one of the things that made the Fillmore so distinctive was it was being run by theater professionals. And those were globe tickets that were printed Mm -hmm. traditionally for the theater. When you ripped one, the, uh, the color was different on the front and the inside, you knew it was a real ticket. And I, and nobody could, could in those days fake them. So yeah. I, 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 I don't want to interfere with the legend. It does no harm. But no, be, 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 the, the doorman, the people there, they knew what a real ticket looked like. Really. Yeah. And David Bird designed that poster that you talked about. The And he said he drew all those little circles with a protractor. Yes, he did. And that it took a while. He had to work then. And mm-hmm. he also lived upstate in a sort of commune farm. So uh, he could give it a lot of time. But it, it wasn't like he sent it out, you know, for this and that and you know, it was it, 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 he, it was incredibly disciplined, and, and but it was a great gig for him, and it led to a whole career. Yeah, and we're, I want to mention, we're, I wanted to talk about Woodstock real quick. I know um, mm-hmm. we've mentioned Hendrix. Oh, I, can I interrupt you? I just want to say uh, just a thing that came into my mind, and I'll forget it, yes, which sir. is that, uh, that the, the New Year's Eve show that was recorded that you said they didn't record, the, it was New Year's Eve that they didn't record. The oh no, it was the it was the it was a '68 show. I'm sorry, where they oh, okay. didn't record That's the different. the okay, encore because that would have been just a bootleggy type recording. They didn't record that show on multi-track yeah. or, mm-mm, mm-mm. or did they? No, they didn't. That would have been the '68 okay. show. Right. I'm sorry, I, sorry. All for... I was, was going to say is is if if it, if they had told people that based on the '69 '70 show, it might not be true. And yes, why? yeah. Uh, is that the artist had a lot of control over their material, and he may not have liked the track, and so it's it 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 didn't get put on the album. But it doesn't mean it disappeared. And I know this because I shot an extraordinary performance in the summer of '70 of Santana playing Soul Sacrifice. It's like thirteen. Oh yeah, old. yeah. I shot on video, uh, and nothing ever happened with it because they didn't they didn't like that particular version that they performed that for that one show. 
it went to uh, the Bill Graham, uh, the company that bought Bill Graham's assets, and they said, no, this is great, and they released it. And you can see them playing Soul Sacrifice with three cameras in color that I directed in the summer of 1970. Oh, wow. Uh, and there's other historical versions of that, this amazing film about Aretha Franklin that she just didn't like the performance, but they made a great record that everybody listened to for 50 years. Then she died and the film was released, Amazing Grace, and it's one of the best films I've ever seen. Yeah. The point is that they, they may tell you that, but instead of it being, instead of, of this the acetate being discovered in somebody's closet of that amazing performance, it's it's every chance that it was recorded properly they just never released, and it's in. Yeah. You know, but if, Eddie Kramer did the '69 album. And oh yeah. Started, and I can't. I can't imagine them not recording. I mean, that was part of their discipline, like ours. They had developed it. It took. It took a while, but audio recording got really good. I'll tell you something, and I respect the hell out of the Joshua Lott show for this, and something you've talked about. Better otherwise, what am I doing here? <laughs> That's true, and something you've talked about in, in a different interview, I believe, was that. Um, you talked about how if Ed, there, the power supply was limited, but if any Eddie Kramer, anything needed, he said, Hey, we need more power that you would unplug whatever he needed. Like the actually it was, uh, it wasn't quite that we had plenty of power. It was yeah. that Eddie, uh, uh, we would use, uh, uh, old, older style, uh, dimmers, but little ones, you know, and mm-hmm. they were noisy. They weren't, they weren't designed for that recording studio environment. And if you look at older pictures of recording studios, there's very often two white knobs that they yeah. use for dimming lights. And those are a, a, not electronic. Those are real resistance dimmers. But we And he just would come. He was a, he's a very sweet guy. And you could always ask him. And he said, look, I'm having buzz. And we would literally remove anything and replace it with something else that wasn't making noise. But th- there was respect because he was developing the craft of recording yeah. multi-track in impossible situations. We had a good relationship with the sound guy because he was always experimenting and it was important not to be little shits. You know, we needed to be part of the team. And I guess I understood at the time that, that there is a future, I guess, because I had studied, I'd been a film student and, yeah. and you know, so I, I looked at old films and things. So I understood that it's, it's not all just for the moment. And, you know, so we, we did our best to accommodate them. Yeah. And, you know, talking about that, I mean, I mean, that there's, there's a lot to be said about that. A lot of respect there of obviously to the medium to that. And if anybody hasn't checked out those, I know this is a doors podcast, but if anybody has not heard machine gun, any, any version of machine gun from any of those shows, that is such a powerful song. Sometimes I'll just put on like that 15, 20 yeah. minute version. Yeah. And you can yeah. let it ride. And it is so powerful. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry that he just, that he just got lost it's such a such yeah. a great talent he could have he could have gone on with the right kind of management and and proper and not being surrounded by enablers you know uh he he could have gone on to do things that other wonderful performers have done where they where he does an album with les paul yeah why not it's just two guys in a studio with guitars it's not it's not like the record company had to put up all this money he could have done amazing things and there's quite a few artists uh, not exact, not exactly the same, but like Linda Ronstadt, she made every oh, kind yeah. of album with every kind of combination because she did. And she's great with the Stone Ponies by themselves. I love exactly. the Stone Ponies. That, she was the, uh, delicious with the Stone Ponies, but she was also good. Amazing, but yeah. performing in the Pirates of Penzance in Central yeah. Park and doing songs for her father and and doing an album conducted by Nelson Riddle. And in every one, she did something new. And I think Jimmy was who was not dumb. 
okay? He was surrounded by people that I think were, were very narrow-minded, but he himself was a bright, sweet guy. Very sweet. He loved the light show. I just feel like Woodstock is like this monument. And, and yeah. man, there's... You, got, you have to remember that, that, that they took this unbelievably difficult 400,000 people, three-day yeah. event with 90 minutes between acts and, and people you know, starving and thirsty and everything, but they were peaceful as opposed to other Woodstocks. And they made it, they compressed it all together into a very romantic. Oh, amazing truthful. film. It was truthful, but it was, it was just the compression of time. And also remember, it didn't come out for a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so people, it had already, the whole Woodstock had already faded into legend and out comes this film that confirms what people thought it was, but it was a shit show. Yeah, but it was a great shit show, mm-hmm. and they had booked the best acts in the world. And that was the first time I ever remember getting the bootleg of that and seeing Chipmunk's name introducing it, who did the can lights and stuff at the Fillmore. That's and uh, yeah, that was Chip. He but, was, and he was the old guy they professionally hired. But it was, you know, they they it was fueled by by uh, youth. Uh, there was a lot of cocaine at this point, yeah. but it was fueled by we could do anything. We can't do it here. We'll do it there. Yeah. You know, uh, three weeks, no problem. Well, it was a problem. And it only took eight months before Altamont. Yeah. And I don't know whether you've seen that film, but it, it's all yeah. the same tropes. They're setting it up and it turns into a deadly. Yeah. And so it didn't take much for the whole pendulum to swing. I'm yeah. glad you you are, are the person who should be enjoying the Woodstock movie. And I'm not putting it down Yeah, because it's informed you and you want to. You want to go on and and you know so please understand i was there and i had to put up with it but they did pay me <laughs> yeah. so it was okay uh and i'm and i moved on and and they never could do it again really because the the moment was gone yeah i think that there's something called the new york pop festival that not a lot of people got paid involved for that uh happened like a year afterwards or something yeah there's, there's there are nightmare stories yeah. at the I, same time as as woodstock there was a performance of of soul music in Harlem that was videotaped. It's only been released in the last year. It just yeah. sat on the shelves because nobody wanted to look at black musicians. They wanted to look at white kids. So, you know, they didn't want to see a show made in Harlem. Yeah, or black musicians that white kids like, you know, like mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix. But mm-hmm. so thank you so much for your time, for your patience, uh going twenty four minutes over here. I, but I really appreciate it and I can't wait to have you back sometime hopefully further in the future. So I'm not bugging you every week, but thank you so much for your time. Okay. My pleasure. You take care now. All right. You too. We'll, we'll talk to you later. Thank you again to Joshua White for the interview. A lot of his loops are still out there and you can find them on YouTube. You can find this podcast on Twitter at the doors pod and on Facebook by searching opening the doors. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for guests, you can send an email to opening the doors pod at gmail.com. I want to give a special thanks to podcast consultant Jim Cherry, who authored The Doors Examined and The Last Stage. I also want to thank The Mild Equator for information used throughout the show. Music for this podcast was done by Christian Cornejo of the Jimbo Tribute Band from South America. I hope to meet you back here in one week, but until then, keep the doors open and the music loud.